0: Hello and welcome. My name is Alice and this is the Backtracker History Show podcast, where I ask you to join me on a meander down through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Most of these podcasts have been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. with a capital B, capital T, and a capital U-K, or emailing me at info at uk. Now, on with the show. Today, we'll be talking about The Seven Boar, one of Britain's few truly spectacular natural phenomena. It is a large surge of wave that can be seen in Estuary at the River Severn, where the tidal range is the second highest in the world, being as much as 50 feet. As many as 60 bores occur throughout the world, where the river estuary is the right shape and the tidal conditions are such that the wave is able to form. It is formed when the rising tide moves into the funnel-shaped Bristol Channel and Severn Estuary, and the surging water forces its way upstream in a series of waves as far as Gloucester and beyond. The bore behaves differently in different stretches of the river. In the lower, wider parts, it is more noticeable in the deep channels as a slight roller, while the water creeps across the sand and mudflats. In the narrower, upper reaches, the river occupies the whole area between its banks and the bore advances in a series of waves that move upstream. Near Gloucester, the advancing water overcomes two weirs and sometimes one in Tewkesbury, before finally petering out. Bores are present on about 130 days in the year, concentrated on the days immediately following the new and full moon. The size and precise timing of the bore depends on such things as the time of high tide, the baromic pressure, the wind speed and direction, the amount of water coming down the river, and how well scored the main drainage channels are. An 18th century account of the bore that has been attributed to Sir Charles Blagdon and is in the collection of the Gloucestershire archives reads as follows.
1: As the head of the tide approaches, this roaring is more frequently repeated and every time louder, till at length, one can be very certain from the sound that it is just at hand. The first thing to be seen is the dashing of water with great violence over the distant banks and about the same time the current ceases to run downward. This prepares the bystanders who naturally fix their eyes with eager expectation on the most distant part of the river that appears in view, being, as was mentioned, about 200 yards off. Here are commonly some men in boats to meet the tide, and some dogs are thrown in just as it comes to observe their howling and distress. On a sudden, the boats and dogs are instantaneously raised up and thrown into violent agitation, and at the same time a vast wave or wall of water reaching across the whole channel of the Severn and dashing everywhere over its banks is seen approaching with extreme rapidity. In a few moments, it breaks violently against the point with a vast surge and prodigious noise. The wave is instantly divided by the shock, and each part rushing up its proper channel in the same manner as before is quickly out of sight.
0: Sir Charles Blagden was a British physician and scientist who was born in Wooden Under Edge on the 17th of April 1748. He served as a medical officer in the army and later held the position of Secretary of the Royal Society. He is best known for his studies of perspiration and the freezing point of solutions. Blagden won the Copley Medal in 1788, and was knighted in 1792.
2: Word of the Week
0: And for your word this week, I give you... kook which is a word that means any surfer who endangers or impedes other surfers, generally clueless, with little understanding of surf etiquette. Not necessarily a beginner, as experienced surfers are also subject to sporadic moments of kookism. Another eyewitness account of the Seven Boar from February 1882 said...
3: The Severn of Stone Beach is 200 yards wide, and when I got there, the banks were about 20 feet above water level. It was running out seawards at 7 miles an hour. At 7 minutes past 9, there was a general exclamation, here it comes. And a sort of subdued roar reached my ears, gradually becoming distant, until so it sounded like a big waterfall. In about 2 minutes, and well in view, a liquid wall approached from 10 to 12 feet above the other water level. It came with incontestable power at about 8 to 10 miles per hour, smooth in the middle, but along the bank surging up any unevenness and dashing against any obstacles with the most terrific force, followed by tons of spray flying right over the road. One Bravo was literally drowned in it. On it went, undisturbed in four more speed, and in five minutes the river, which before had 20 feet of bank, was flowing in the opposite direction and close to our feet. It was an immediate filling of the river, an instantaneous rise of the tide. I stood dumb when I reflected on the awful forces at work in such a palpable manner, and realised the full meaning of lunar attraction. The words of the psalmist flow to my mind. Thou hast set them their bounds, which they shall not pass. I wish I could paint the picture which is indelibly engraven on my mind. Within our immediate view, I estimate that 36 million cubic feet of water passed us in a few minutes.
0: And as always, we must remember that the power of nature shouldn't be underestimated. On the 30th of March, 1894, a Good Friday, in Gloucester, William Glass, aged 27, a ledger clerk at a fruit merchant's of Borden Street, who lived at Clifton. Frank Watson and Francis Hayne took advantage of an excursion from Bristol to visit Sandycroft Churchdown, the residence of Hayne's parents. When they got there, they decided before breakfasting to hire a small boat and row down the river to meet the Seven Boar, which that morning reached the great height. The services of a boatman, Charles Scholar, were requisitioned, but on the boar being met, they managed to ride the first three waves well, but the fourth wave was so powerful it capsized the boat. Haynes went under but near the boat, which he managed to cling to. He saw Glass holding onto an oar and decided to swim to him to give him another oar, but a second wave struck and pushed them both under the water again. When Haynes resurfaced, he could no longer see his friend, but stayed in the hope that Glass would rise from the water, until a boat came and picked him up. Glass was swept away and drowned in sight of a large number of people on the bank. The boatman swam ashore and said that the last he saw of Glass was him swimming as hard as he could towards the shore. Scholar, the boatman, said at the inquest that he had been accustomed to the river all his life and had taken many visitors out to the bore. That day he had kept the head of the boat straight but the water had come in at the waist. He was exonerated of blame and the verdict was given as accidental death. William Glass left a widow and two young children, who had accompanied him to the Gloucester, but who were not made acquainted with his sad vitality until later in the evening. The body of Glass was on Sunday afternoon recovered, within ten yards where the vitality happened. A gang of men were out dragging all day, it being feared that the spring tides would have carried the body to the lower reaches of the river. River surfing enthusiasts have always attempted to surf along on the wave, which can be two metres or seven feet high. The river was first surfed in 1955 by World War II veteran Jack Churchill, sometimes known as Fighting Jack or Mad Jack Churchill. Churchill was born in Colombo, British Ceylon, and was educated at King Williams College on the Isle of Man. He graduated from the military college, Sandhurst, in 1926 and served in Burma with the Manchester Regiment. He enjoyed riding a motorbike whilst there. At one point during World War II, Churchill was second in command of number three commando in Operation Archery, a raid on the German garrison at Forgse, Norway, on the 27th of December 1941. As the ramps fell on the first landing craft, he leapt forward from his position playing March of the Cameron Men on his bagpipes before throwing a grenade and charging into battle. For his actions at Dunkirk and Fawkesay, Churchill received the military cross and bar. His motto was...
2: Any officer who goes into battle without his sword is not properly dressed.
0: And he was renowned not just for carrying the bagpipes, but a Scottish claymore sword and a longbow, as well as being the only Allied soldier to kill an enemy with a carriage longbow during the war. He painted the arrows black so they couldn't be seen. Eric Buckmaster, who served under Mad Jack, said that Churchill would play the bagpipes to encourage the men. Churchill himself said, the
2: tune I played was Will Ye Know Come Back Again. Odd troops were dotted about in different places, but once I played the pipes, they would know that I was there and I hoped that they'd converge on me.
3: Book of the Week
0: Now, if you want to find out more about Mad Jack Churchill, you'll want to read the book Unlimited Boldness by Rex king Clark, who was Jack's friend and actually joined the Manchester Regiment with him in the early 30s. So you can imagine how much detail he goes into about their various exploits and giving a better understanding not only of the era, but of the men themselves. During one battle in which Mad Jack Churchill was involved, he was playing his bagpipes under gunfire and he was suddenly overwhelmed and his bagpipes ceased playing. The Germans captured him and paraded him in chains through Berlin. On May the 27th, 1940, when his company was trapped after the Battle of Lepinay, near Bethune, Churchill killed the first approaching Nazi soldier with his longbow, then used two machine guns to fight back until they ran out of ammunition. He managed to get the remainder of his company to safety by leading them through the enemy lines at night, despite being shot in the shoulder. After the Second World War ended, Churchill qualified as a parachutist and transferred to the Fourth Highlanders. He was soon posted to mandatory Palestine as executive officer of the 1st Battalion, the Highland Light Infantry. In the spring of 1948, just before the end of the British Mandate in the region, he became involved in another conflict. Along with 12 of his soldiers, he attempted to assist the Hadassah medical convoy that came under attack by Arab forces. Churchill was one of the first men on the scene and banged on a bus, offering to evacuate members of the convoy in an APC, in contradiction to the British military orders to keep out of the fight. His offer was refused in the belief that the Jewish Haganah would come to their aid in an organised rescue. When no relief arrived, Churchill and his 12 men provided cover fire against the Arab forces. Two of the convoy trucks caught fire, and 77 of the 79 people inside of them were killed. The event is known today as the Hadassah Medical Convoy Massacre. When speaking of the experience, Churchill said...
2: About 150 insurgents, armed with weapons varying from blunderbusses and old flintlocks to modern Sten and Bren guns, took cover behind a cactus patch in the grounds of the American colony. I went out and faced them. About 250 riflemen were on the edge of our property, shooting at the convoy. I begged them to desist from using the grounds of the American colony for such a dastardly purpose.
0: After the massacre, Churchill coordinated the evacuation of 700 Jewish doctors, students and patients from the Hadassah Hospital on the Hebrew University campus on Mount Scopus in Jerusalem, where the convoy had been headed. In his honour, the street leading to the hospital was named Churchill Boulevard. In later years... Mad Jack Churchill served as an instructor at the Land Air Warfare School in Australia, where he became a passionate devotee of the surfboard. Back in Britain on July 21, 1955, he was the first man to ride the River Severn's five-foot tidal bore and designed his own board. During this time back in Britain, he worked at a desk job in the army. Churchill retired from the army in 1959, and in retirement, his eccentricity continued. He startled train guards and passengers by throwing his briefcase out of the train window each day on the ride home. He later explained that he was tossing his case into his own back garden, so he wouldn't have to carry it from the station. Some of his other passions in later life were sailing coal-fired ships on the Thames and playing with radio-controlled model warships. At home, according to his son, he was a peace-loving and unassuming man. And one of his favourite sayings was,
2: People are less likely to shoot you if you smile at them.
0: Mad Jack Churchill died on the 8th of March, 1996, aged 89, in Surrey. He was made the hero of a comic strip and the subject of several books, including one by his brother, Tom, and a compilation volume in March 2014 by the Norwegian Royal Explorers Club, The co-founder of the club, Espen Lazarus, said that he would rate Jack Churchill as one of, if not the most inspirational and impressive people he had ever researched in relation to the book. In September 2005, several hundred surfers gathered in Newham on seven to celebrate 50 years since the first recorded attempt at surfing the Seven Boar and to view the premiere of Longwave by Donnie Wright, a historical film documenting the evolution of the sport since its inception in 1955. In March 2006, Steve King, a railway engineer from Gloucestershire, set a world record for the longest surfing ride on a river boar while riding the Seven Boar. King surfed up the river for a distance of 12 kilometers, which is 7.6 miles, taking 1 hour and 17 minutes, a Guinness World Record. Even now, on the days when a large bore is expected, hundreds of surfing enthusiasts may accumulate, waiting for waves to arrive. Hazards in high water conditions can include floating trees, collapsing portions of riverbank, overhanging branches and even dead farm animals. The Gloucester Harbour Trustees, as competent harbour authority for this part of the river, have issued safety guidance for surfers, canoeists, small craft and riverbank. News just in. During Covid crisis, boffins have discovered in a recent study that women who carry a little extra weight live longer than the men who mention it. Thank you.
1: Hey, this is Russ. This is Kyle. This is Michelle. From the Infectious, Infectious Groove Podcast. Join us every Monday for the most fun you can have with a music podcast. The Infectious Groove Podcast uses a positive and fun approach as we take time every week to share our jammy jams, then dig into a thought provoking topic discussing all decades and genres of music. You can find the Infectious Groove Podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can head to infectiousgroovepodcast.com to find us there and subscribe. We might have a controversial opinion here or there, but we always have fun with it. Oh, I'm sure I'll say something dumb. Subscribe to the Infectious Groove Podcast, part of the Odd Pods Media Network.
3: Back in the day facts. Back in the day facts.
0: Let's start off with the 3rd of April when back in 1913, when English suffragette Emmeline Pankhurst, was sentenced to prison for inciting supporters to place explosives outside the home of Welsh Liberal statesman David Lloyd George. On the 4th of April 1581, after his return from circumnavigating the globe, English navigator Francis Drake was knighted on board his ship, the Golden Hind, by Queen Elizabeth I. On the 4th of April 1968, The U.S. black civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee, where he was to have led a sanitation workers' protest. He was shot in the neck on a hotel balcony by James Earl Ray, who was sentenced to life imprisonment. And on the 7th of April in 1975, RCA releases Young Americans, David Bowie's ninth studio album, recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania and New York City. Featuring appearances by John Lennon on two tracks, it peaks in the US charts at number nine and number two in the UK. It's wonderful to hear the vocal talents once again of Steve Shepard, who's been a bit poorly of late, as well as Simon Green and Molly Jeffries, Thanks to all three of you for bringing the story to life. You have been listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. Now, this podcast has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. If you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. If you didn't, well... Let's just leave it at that, shall we? I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at BacktrackerUK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. Or, alternatively, you can email me at info at backtracker.co.uk. By the way, the tune in the background, that's by The Model Folk. You can find out more about them at Folk. .com So thank you so much for listening and until next time guys take care and look after each other